from the NFL. If you're Dak Prescott, individual numbers aren't enough anymore. You want to get paid? Win something. To the NBA. Who gives a about the Pelicans if Zion don't play? Across the landscape of college football. There's no such thing as a good loss in the ACC. So if you're Clemson, you better win every game. And so much more. Let's talk some sports, baby. The stories you want. Baseball is back. Basketball is almost back. And football is on the way. You love to see it. The opinions you need. Sports is what this country needs. And I truly, truly believe that. Holla at your boy. It's Jay Wise. It's the drink. It's the beard. And it's the wisdom. I hope you brought pen and paper because class is in session. And Nathan Drinkard. Remember, make tomorrow better than today and make today better than yesterday. And you know what we're going to do. We're going to holler at you until next time, baby. This is A Drink of Wisdom. Welcome to A Drink of Wisdom. Nathan Drinkard, I'm Jay Wise. Thanks for spending some of your time with us. As you well know, the show's on, hosted on the Anchor app, but we're on all the big podcast platforms, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, all the rest. And if you're interested in the video format of the show, we're live on the A Drink of Wisdom YouTube channel. Check us out on all of those. Like, listen, share, subscribe. We'd appreciate it all. Busy day. Busy day today, Drink. What's going on? Hey, man. Busy day nonetheless, man. Everything good. Um, you know, glad to be back up in this thing with you, my partner in crime, my brother from another mother. You know what it is. Um, we say what they don't and see what they want. And um, y'all know what time it is. Let's talk some sports, baby. Let's roll, baby. And away we go. Episode 38, the Patriots are getting busy. The Jazz defeat the Celtics. And we take a look at Monday's entertaining battle between the Knicks and Nets. We're going to start tonight in college basketball on the return of March Madness. As you may know, the last year's tournament was derailed by the COVID, but we are happy the 2021 installment gets underway tomorrow night with the first four, including a blue blood battle between UCLA and Michigan State. Gonzaga, Baylor, Michigan, and Illinois, they're your number one seeds. You got Houston, Alabama, Ohio State, and Iowa on the two line. The entirety of the tournament is going to take place in in Indiana, with much of it taking place in Indianapolis. And the NCAA has elected to allow a limited number of fans Obviously, they'll be doing the social distancing and the masks and all the rest of that. Uh, lots to get to here. We got the favorites, possible upsets uh, to those fans that are allowed to show up. It's all yours, Drink. Uh, what are you going to be watching as this tournament kicks into high gear? Well, you know, um, it's a multitude of uh, things to watch with this March Madness, as you put it so eloquently. But um, I think, first of all, the very first thing I want to watch um, tomorrow night is that Michigan State and UCLA. Um those are two what we would call blue bloods in, in basketball, as you said, and they're playing in the first four, not the final four, but the first four. Um, so I think that's quite interesting. That caught my attention as soon as I seen the bracket get released because, you know, you usually don't have teams of those caliber, you know, in the first four. So I think that's a good way to kick off the tournament. Um, and then we get into the tournament. Listen, I, you know, as I look at, you know, I'll put it like this. So somebody, they posed this question to me, and, and this is the way I looked at it, and it made sense. It was like, okay, if you looked at, because the history of this tournament, usually the top four seeds from each region usually find their way through. Every now and then we get a, 
you know, um, 15 and two upset. Don't really get the 16 and one all that much, but you might get a 15 and two, uh, uh, you know, a 14 and three upset. So I say all that to say, you know, when I look at the one seeds, um, first and foremost, I do think Gonzaga is going to probably, they're going to run through majority of the West bracket. I, as I look at, you know, they, the problem with Gonzaga and the problem with the rest of these, these teams, if you don't have a team where you have at least, let's say, um, five, you know, junior, five junior to senior mix on your team, you got a bunch of one and dones, you're out of here. We seen Duke, we seen Kentucky, we seen, that one and done stuff ain't happening no more. It seems to me, as I look at these, you know, with COVID, and then I look at this bracket, you got to have some 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 leadership. You got to have some of those senior guys. And Gonzaga got them. That's why I think they're in a very poised um, place to win the West. Um, I go to the East. You know, if I go to the East, well, we I, we sticking it to the first round. I'm sorry. Um, uh, so. You know, I'm gonna take my boys over there in the East, right? I don't even care that Michigan number one. You know what I'm saying? They, you know what? As far as I'm concerned, they they get the win of St. Mary's versus Texas uh, Southern, and then they they can lose for all I care. Cause you know, I'm gonna take my boys in the first round over there in the East anyway. Um, and then you, like you said, Baylor, and then you got Illinois. But I do want to say something, and I guess this is what I was trying to catch up to. Now it finally came through. Did you see how many teams the Big Ten got in? I didn't. I didn't see the exact number, but I, I want to say they led the entire tournament in teams that got selected. Right. Right. They had was it, nine. Was it eleven? It was nine. Nine. Okay. Nine. Uh, they was. They had nine. I think the next conference close to them had seven. Um, and the reason that's significant is because for every team that you get into the tournament, there's more money. So to most of these leagues got twelve to fourteen teams. So if you get nine of those teams in, you know what I'm saying. That's a big payday for the conference. So I wanted to throw that out there as well. But um it's as far as the matchups go, I mean, uh those, you know, those teams that I named, those was a few of the first round matchups. I usually don't really start looking until we see what they look like. Now, I think people gotta understand this year with March Madness is different. Yeah, you still got your four regions, but every game is getting played in Indianapolis. So we gotta remember this is gonna be more. It's it's gonna be March Madness, but it's gonna be more of a post NBA. So you know how they had the bubble down in in uh, Orlando. This is pretty much gonna be the bubble in Indianapolis. So you know you take that for what you take it as. Um, and the reason I bring that up is because you said something about the limited fans, which the limited fans will matter. But if everybody's playing on the same floor, it's usually like a, a AAU tournament type of look to it, um, a conference tournament type of look to it. Um, it's not like the normal March Madness. So I do want to, you know, throw that out there. If people didn't know it, the whole tournament is happening in, you know, the city of Indianapolis, just in, I want to say, either three different gyms or four different gyms, one of the two. Um, so that's also something to look at. That's why all four of the first four games are getting played on Thursday. Because usually you have like two games on Tuesday, two games on yep. Wednesday, and then it, it rolls into it. But that's why they all get played on Thursday because of that fact. So with that said, I just want to see them play. And then I think once we revisit this Saturday or next week, I think I have a little more feel of what, I, what I'm leaning towards as far as the tournament goes. I'm just happy it's here. I'm happy we could be part of it. We missed it last year. Let's play some ball, baby. March Madness. 
No, no doubt about that. Can't, could not agree with you more on that. This is a, uh, this is a welcome sight. Um, it was a huge, a huge blow to the sporting community when um, the conference tournaments went down in such a way as they did last season. Then we got the news that the NCAA tournament would not be happening. That was, I mean, college basketball, and as you can tell by, you know, the way we conduct our show, it, it, it kind of, it doesn't always make it into the main list you know, the, the main schedule and the main agenda of what we um, get down with. Uh, but I mean, March Madness is unlike any other. Like you you look at s things that are synonymous uh, with a certain sport. I don't know if the relationship between this tournament and the brackets that we're looking at right now, th those things are so closely connected. It, and, and you know, like even people that know nothing about basketball, they get in on the tournament for nothing else just to to fill one out or just bet or, or something, yeah, something right. of that nature. Like, and some, some people, you know, some people, they don't, they just, oh, everybody's filling out a bracket. Let me get one of them suckers and pencil right. some stuff in. Who's playing? Listen, oh, listen. Oh, we got, go ahead. I, I'm not, sorry to cut you off, but oh, like, man. to your point, you think about this, like, as big as the Super Bowl is, March Madness is the only time where you get like billionaires like um, Warren Buffett. Um, it was another guy that's like, oh, I pay a million dollars to whoever got the perfect bracket. Yeah. Like most people don't even know who Warren Buffett is, but yet and still, when 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 March Madness come around, he does stuff like that to you know try to hype and you know morale in his company or whatever he's trying to do. So you make a good point with that. Fine, you know, a March Madness is a big deal. Yeah, but to the but to the actual um you know some of the participants and I, yeah we're we're focusing primarily on the first round but since it's it's the beginning you know we can look a little bit down the road. Okay. Gonzaga. is going to be tough for anybody not not only in that West region they got um I think three of three of their players made uh either first second or third All Americans right right, uh, right and and don't and even though we know they play in the the West Coast Conference or whatever. You know, and that can we can look at that as somewhat of a joke. Um, they do got BYU is in that conference. BYU is in this tournament. They're a six seed. They got two wins against BYU, uh, and then they, they schedule in non-conference. They beat Kansas. They beat West Virginia. They beat Iowa. They beat Virginia. And they also had they had a game against Baylor that they were supposed to play, and that got canceled. Um, mm -hmm. But one stat to really pay attention to, and some of it, of course, is the benefit of the WCC. Uh, only one of uh, twenty-five. They played twenty-six. 26 games this year, 25 of them, they've won by double digits. Only West Virginia played them to within single digits. They won that game by five. So now that now you can look at that as two ways. Number one, they're, they're just a dominant team. But number two, it, it don't, the thing about this tournament is it only takes one. It only takes one time for you to not be on your game and get caught. And that, that, and that sometimes that, that happens to Gonzaga because I believe the nature of the competition they play in a tournament like this only takes one bad half and you could be out of here. And they've, they've had that happen to them, you know, as, as time has gone on under uh, Mark Feud. But um, I mean, they, they're on it there, you know, even in comparison to some of the teams they've had in the past, this, this one might be just too much to ask for some of these teams until you get on down the line into the elite eight um, and so on and so forth. I'm not, I mean, Virginia's on this side. And I'm not in Virginia, as I just said, Virginia lost by 23 to Gonzaga back in December. So, mm. you know, even for the likes of, you know, Tony Bennett coach team might be too much to have. You do have, you do have Iowa in this bracket. You have Kansas. I was, I was, 
I was just about to say, in that break, the only thing I can say is, I think I would have the best overall player in, in Luca Garza, I think his name is. Yeah, Luca Garza. But, yeah. I, I, but I think, you know. But I think, yeah, and I, I, that, that's a great point, uh, Luca Garza. But I mean, I'm, I'm looking just at face value off the off the west, uh, the west side of the bracket. And I think, you know, the, the best chance somebody may have is maybe in that second round game, Oklahoma, Missouri can catch them. But after that, I'm not, I mean, whether it's Virginia, whether it's Creighton, Southern Cal on down the line, I'm not, this is, this, this might be a fairly easy time for Gonzaga, you know, on around the rest of it. I, you know, Michigan, one thing to keep in mind about Michigan, uh, they're, they're going to be missing probably Isaiah Livers for the duration of this tournament. So they could, they could get caught because of that. They lost in the Big Ten semifinals to Ohio State without Isaiah Livers. So he, he's a big part of what they do. Um, Alabama, so Alabama, it could be, it could be open for them. Uh, we will see. You know, they got a lot to like down there with Herb Jones and Nate Oates and all the oh, rest yeah. of them. Um, I know what it is. You know, te Texas in that bracket. Texas has been a little inconsistent. I've watched a little bit of Texas this year. Seem like you know some of some of these seedings, you, you can tell the big, Big Ten and Big Twelve got a lot of respect by the committee mm -hmm. this year. I think those are the best two conferences. But you think of a team like the ACC and the Big Twelve both got seven teams in this tournament, but the seeding is way different. Virginia and Florida State are four seeds. That's the best the ACC could do. The next best ACC team, I believe, is Clemson on the seven line, and mm -hmm. even beyond that, think of a team like North Carolina. They're on the eight line, so. The ACC was down overall this year. We know that Duke's not in the tournament. Um, Baylor, Baylor's been pretty pretty dominant this year. They they did. Uh, I think they let one get away in the in the Big Twelve tournament. But um, I th I do think North Carolina is better than their seating, and they'll if they can beat uh, Wisconsin in their first round game, they'll they'll get a shot at Baylor. And that again, same thing. Maybe uh, Oklahoma, Missouri against Gonzaga. North Carolina is better than their record says. So I think. I think North Carolina is going to give Baylor a good fight. Uh, you do have Ohio State in that bracket. Uh, Texas Tech with the way they defend. You have Purdue. Purdue, maybe, you know, th those limited number of fans, maybe that benefits Purdue in, uh, in Indiana. We don't, we don't know how that's going to turn out. Uh, Illinois is probably the one, the one on the one line that wasn't a, a guarantee as, as talented as they are. They've had been just a little bit up and down, you know, as up and down as a 23 and 16 can be. Um, in, in that bracket, you've got the likes of West Virginia and Houston, Tennessee, Oklahoma State with Cade Cunningham. They could be interesting. Um, but overall, I mean, the, the one line, the, I think the uh, Gonzaga, Baylor, and Michigan were well-deserved on number ones. Uh, Illinois was probably the, the, the next best decision on the one line. But, I mean, as far as, as far as any upsets I see, you know, it's, one thing about this tournament, anybody that that knows this the tournament inside and out and can just digest what it takes to digest from 68 different teams, shout out to you because it's a tough job. Because we sitting right. here and, you know, for example, we got a good old Drake down here in the first four on the 11 line. You know, there's some people that's filling out this bracket and they thinking of Drake with all the albums and everything. Is Drake is a school. <laughs> Drake's out there with his Raptor gear on and everything. Mm-hmm. You know, no, they're like, since since when did Drake buy, buy a school? I thought when, LeBron was the when, only one did that. Drake did it too? Yeah, first, first four, LeBron's versus Drake's. <laughs> I think, yeah, the, the strange thing about this term is so many blue bloods 
Duke and Kentucky are the biggest ones that they couldn't even get in the tournament this year. But Michigan State was down. Kansas had a lot of struggles early on. North Carolina's on the eight line. A lot of, a lot of, it was an odd year in college basketball. Um, do, do you know Michigan State is the only team in this tournament? Like, this is a wall right here. So they're, they're a first four team, but they're the only team in this tournament that to beat three of the four number one seeds in this tournament. That's a stat. That's crazy. That's a stat. You said they beat three of the four number one seeds. Yeah, I don't. So they, yeah, I don't think they played Gonzaga. Uh, Gonzaga's no. undefeated, so clearly. Yeah, I have I have Gonzaga's schedule up, so it couldn't have been them. So yeah, I, yeah, I do so, remember them beating Michigan. That's yeah, Michigan, Baylor, Illinois. That's a great stat. So I'll, okay. uh, well, with that, Michigan State must be uh, they're worth watching. We'll see if they can get through uh, <laughs> UCLA in the first four and carry on to BYU. We will have, right. uh, and we'll, don't worry about it. We will have much more on the tournament as it progresses, and we will revisit this on Saturday. Oh, show. yeah. Yep. All right, on to the NFL and the free agency that brings us so much discussion each offseason. Been plenty of movement thus far, and we will no doubt continue to see more take place in the days ahead. Drink, I don't mean to point you in any particular direction, but it's, it's really hard to overlook what the Patriots have done thus far. Well, I'm I'm gonna be honest with you. Um, I'm waiting on TMZ to come up with that breaking news that uh, Bill Belichick ain't you know what I'm saying he's somewhere overseas, somewhere vacationing. He ain't making these calls. Is because when when think about this when you when the news started breaking and, and free agents started signing or not necessarily signing but coming to agreements um with teams and everything and then you see the Patriots one time, then you see the Patriots two times, then three times. Wait, two tight ends? Hold on. Why was it Cam coming back? Oh, hold on. So I'm I'm gonna be honest. This it this does not feel like Bill Belichick, but we do know Bill Belichick is the GM. He's the um the guy with the personnel moves. So it gotta be him, but this is very unpatriot like. Now, with all that said, listen, so I guess uh Robert Kraft said, look, enough's enough. We ain't we ain't having another season like we had last year. That's that's enough. I don't care what we gotta do, Bill. You better start. Maybe we are gonna cut your pay and start paying some players because enough's enough. We gotta get some players, and that's what they did. I, I like what the Bills did. I like the I mean not the Bills. I'm sorry. I like what the Patriots did. Um, I like the fact that they, that they was able to bring back Cam Newton for another year. I like that. Give him another shot, win healthy, and let's see. Cause let's think about it. Yeah, he was playing gimpy. But once he went out for COVID, that's when his performance took a nosedive. Before he went out for COVID, he was, you know, he had the new he had New England in the right place, I think. They wasn't the world beaters, but they wasn't the bottom of the league either. You know what I'm saying? So I think they bringing back Cam Newton and now you giving him weapons. You you sign these wide receivers, you sign these tight ends. Listen, New England has made it very clear that they want the smoke. Um Another team that I was very impressed with their offseason thus far is the Arizona Cardinals. Make no mistake, Cliff Kingsbury, you and Kyler Murray are getting a significant amount more support than Steve Wilkes and Josh Rosen got in their one, two-year sabbatical. Um, So with all that said, I'm telling you, Cliff Kingsbury is getting fired this year. You got it here. Breaking news. 
if old Cliff don't, if these boys don't make the playoffs, he's getting fired. That's all it is to it. It's no way you could convince me that he's not. You, the, the management is doing their job. So at some point, they're gonna look at coaching and be like, "Let's get us their coach." Um, but with that said, dang it. With that said, I think um, I, I like what they did. Um, before I move on, let me let me talk about a couple of teams I don't like what they did. The Ravens. What are we doing, Ravens? Ravens. I mean. Last time I checked, right, one of the biggest problems with Lamar Jackson is he don't have a legitimate down-the-field threat. He got elite tight ends. He got John Brown. I don't know what Dez Brown was doing. Maybe he was holding the coolers. But the biggest problem with them was they didn't have that over-the-top, take-the-top off. So you would think the first thing the Ravens would do this, this offseason is get a receiver that can do that for you. Now, you, as you reminded me earlier, it is wide receivers out there. It's not like it's, you know, very covered out there. But I just felt like when free agency opened, the first thing the Ravens would do is find some type of weapon for Lamar Jackson. You're going to have to get him that weapon. Listen, we just seen this with Josh Allen. I don't know what the hell the Ravens need to see to understand this. You, But quarterbacks need a dynamic guy that they can depend on. That's how they get better. That's how Josh Allen got better. That's how Patrick Mahomes got better. That's how, you know, um, Tom Brady. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, you can't – Tom Brady even showed us. You throw out a bunch of stop signs, <laughs> you you get what you get, right? But you give the, you get a quarterback, somebody he can trust, somebody he can be confident in, Matt Ryan, Julio Jones, Super Bowl, like – you gotta give you gotta give them somebody, and I don't understand what the Ravens doing. I don't I don't get it. I, I don't understand. The second team is the Oakland. I mean, the Las Vegas Raiders. Sorry. They had before this free agency. They had one of the best offensive lines in the NFL. Mm. Top five, right? Like their offensive line was pretty legit. Why? Because they had spent money in the past on the offensive line, only to give it a facelift this free agency. And I don't, yeah, I don't yeah. quite. I mean, I know their offensive line was expensive, but it was good. Like, you yeah, get they, what you pay for. Type yeah, they, they, yeah, they gutted it. They lost four. Yeah, four of their five starters are gone. So I mean, with the Raiders right now, I, I feel like you felt when the Packers decided to draft Jordan Love instead of going get a wide receiver. Like, <laughs> what, what are we doing, right? Y'all are going backwards. Y'all not going forward. So. Those two teams right now probably are my top two teams that got me baffled. Like, what are we doing in free agency? I think the Ravens got to get more to help Lamar. And I, and I would like to hear John Gruden's explanation, either him or Mike Mayock's explanation on why they gave the offensive line such a facelift after paying them all this money. I just don't get it. So, yeah, those was my two uh, greats and my two not-so-greats. Yeah. Yeah, I was I was gonna get there about the Raiders. I, that's something I happen to notice. I, I had a couple of you know running lists that I was looking at, um, you know, a couple of trackers just to keep track of all the the mega the mega movement that's going on. Right. Uh, I said I said mega, not mega. Don't don't freak mega out, folks. folks. Yeah. Um, let's be clear about this. <laughs> um, but yeah, the the you know also I had the free agent tracker seeing who's going places, and all, but also I'm interested to see like who's losing. And the, the Raiders, when I saw that note, incognito, Rodney Hudson, Gabe Jackson, 
uh, Trent Brown, they gone. And, you know, this was, like you say, this was a, this was a top five unit. And some of these guys, uh, like Jackson and uh, Hudson, they've been around for a while uh, out in, out in Vegas and before that in Oakland. And that's a, you know, you look at it moving forward, how, you know, I'm wondering, I'd like to know what John Gruden has to say about that too. How are you going to replace yeah. all that? And that was like a big deal. Like, you know, cause they could open, open good lanes for Josh Jacobs, protect Derek Carr. And now I don't know. I don't know what they're going to do, how they're going to replace all of that. Um, but let, let's go to some good stuff and let, let's go to new England because um, this is, this is kind of interesting. And I think, We've, we've never seen New England behave this way in free agency. They've never been the team to just throw money around like, you know, they like they out there maxing it out like we thought the Rams was doing. Right. And but that's, you know, could it? I don't know. Some people they, I've seen some, you know, some debates talking about, you know, is this is this some desperation? Because, you know, I mean, you know what it is. Tom Brady got another Super Bowl and Bill over here still stuck on six. So is Bill a little bit concerned? Is he trying to, like, catch up too quick? There could be some of that because and some of this right. stuff doesn't like knock your socks off like you know we asked uh i'm sure cam newton put in some requests for wide receiver upgrades i don't know if he had nelson aguilar and kendrick Bourne on the, on the wish list but i mean you know aguilar i actually you know i think both of them a little underrated aguilar you know you know his days in philadelphia you know right. you had the video of the kid like you know, whatever, whatever he said, you know, the guy I'm talking about, I, forget, right. I can't remember what he said, but when he said catching the kid from a burning bit, yeah. I, I know what you're talking Something about. Yeah. Like, yeah. I got, I got uh, but you know, I will say as far as scheme or what we think the Patriots will be scheme wise, uh, Kendrick Bourne. Oh, and by the way, Aguilar, another player, another player, the Raiders lost. What about that? But they both come, they both come from run heavy offenses. Think about that. And new England with Cam Newton, and with whoever's going to be in the backfield, Damian Harris, Sonny Michelle, whoever, they're probably going to be a little run heavy. So, you know, both those guys, I would definitely think Bourne has a good reputation of being a good blocking wide receiver. But I think, but even, but, you know, regardless of what you think about those two guys, these tight ends that they brought in, that's where they're going to make that money. They missed the days of Gronk and Aaron Hernandez. That's what they missed. And I, I'm, it may surprise you, I'm a little bit more excited about this John U. Smith signing because I've seen, you know, what he was able to do in Tennessee when he was playing behind Delaney Walker. He got more playing time last year. He, he's he's fun to watch. He's athletic. He can make a lot of plays in the red zone. We know, and we know how talented Hunter Henry is. So that's going to be fun to watch. And you think about it, you go back to Cam Newton's Carolina days. He made a lot of money with a good tight end in Greg Olson. So those type of parallels are interesting. New England, we def we know Cam Newton. I mean, at least I do. He's not as bad as he was last year throwing the ball. You know, and we saw what Tom Brady, Tom Brady couldn't make it work with some of those guys. Right. Um, so in his final season, and we saw what he can do with the elite weaponry they got in Tampa Bay. Um, so overall, I mean, if nothing else, the Patriots dominating the headlines. You know, they just out here signing everybody. They, they're making – I mean, this Matt Judon sign—that's a big deal. Fourteen million a year for four years, and they so they, and they also needed a little bit more in the pass rush. I mean, they re-signed Dietrich Wise to a pretty nice contract. Jalen Mills, as if they needed more help in the secondary. They—they load—they loading up, and they got—they got some pretty you know underrated guys in the uh, defensive line depth, like Henry Anderson. Oh, and don't don't this is a little underrated. Speaking of Trent Brown, the Patriots brought him back. You know, so they 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 making a lot of moves. 
Um, you know, it's going to be fun to see how it turns out. Don't forget, I don't, if they're doing this in free agency, we're going to be, you know, have to pay attention to what they do come draft time. You know, no, they, I don't think so. See, now that where I differ from you. I think draft time, see, this is the thing about Bill, right? We always said Bill know what he's doing when it comes to NFL players. The draft, mm, not so much. Not to say my, he's my, my, the, yeah. the worst drafter of all time or anything, but he miss a lot. And I think what, like my, I think in the draft, he's gonna, what he's gonna do is he's gonna trade back a lot or whatever, or he's gonna try to use the picks to get some other players that's already, you know, I, I just don't think Bill care about the draft. This is his draft right now in the free agency. I wanna say, and I wanna say, and just by sheer volume of volume of moves, Patriots have been very active. There's two other teams that have been like active by sheer volume of moves. That'd be the Jaguars and the Texans. I, it, it hasn't really impressed me as much. I do think right. um, Jacksonville, they, they, I like some of the wide receiver moves they've made. Uh, I think Marvin Jones, him coming in, that's a, that's a nice thing to do to give you, a, uh, as we assume, your young quarterback, a good veteran target. Philip Dorsett, Dorsett as well. Uh, Tyson Alualu, that's an underrated signing, a little depth on the defensive line. They get Shaq Griffin. They paid him a lot of money uh, to be the number one cornerback. Um, Carlos Hyde, Carlos Hyde, he's been around a lot of different teams, professional running back. Uh, so, some of the signs, though, they do. I mean, I'm wondering, who is Rayshon Jenkins and why is he getting $9 million a year? I I, I, I cannot, for the, I, maybe you know who he is. I, for the love of God, I don't know who that is. Um, Roy Robertson Harris, I think he played at Chicago. So I'm, I'm, I'm not as impressed with Jacksonville. I'm probably less, and I'm probably even less impressed with uh, Houston. I, I think the, the best thing they did was they brought in a good backup quarterback. And he might be the starting quarterback when it's all said and done. Give Tyrod Taylor some, some <laughs> let him throw the ball a little bit this year. But uh, yeah, o- overall, I, I, I'm not moved by what they did with, you know, the, the Marcus Cannon trade, maybe that's something I mean, some of these guys, Malik Collins, Terrence Mitchell, Terrence Brooks, Mark Ingram. I, it's it's pretty it's pretty unimpressive. They're getting a bunch of rentals, it look like. Yeah. Some of the uh, – yeah, and uh, b- yeah, Baltimore with the wide receivers. I, you know, it pains me to say this, and maybe they won't go this route. I think Juju Smith-Schuster makes a lot of sense for Baltimore. I think he makes a lot of sense for him with the way, you know, because Baltimore wide receivers – you know, historically, you're talking about tough guys. You're talking about Derek Mason, Anquan Bolden. You know, a lot of times guys that can not only catch the ball, but they can they can run block as well for you. I think Juju would fit in uh, very well for Baltimore, and it would it would add another you know just great twist to that Pittsburgh Baltimore rivalry that I I really enjoy watching. Um, I, I have to say, and I don't mean to beat up on Cincinnati. I'm I, I'm never a fan of what they're doing. I don't like. You know, Trey, are we, are you sure? You didn't about like Trey? Joe Burrow either? I like that. I like that. I'm talking, and I'm talking about free agency. I'm talking about free agency. They've spent, you remember last year when they got DJ Reader and Trey Waynes and some, right. you know, uh, are you sure about Trey Hendrickson? Are you sure he's worth 15 million a year? I'm not. Uh, Chidobe Awuzie, Mike Hilton. I like Mike Hilton. I, I do, but four for 24, that's pretty steep for a nickelback. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm, I, I just, I never seem to be enamored with what they're doing. And there's been, you know, other teams, there's been a lot of teams that have been pretty inactive. I don't think Green Bay really, they, uh, other than re-signing Aaron Jones to a big deal, they've been pretty quiet. Uh, Philadelphia has been silent. So I don't know, I don't know what they're doing. Maybe they just going to 
you know, try to have a good draft and get better on that. Pittsburgh, we knew they weren't going to be all that active. They've done, they've re-signed a few guys, but uh, most of the guys that we thought they'd lose, they likely will lose. Bud Dupree got a big contract from Tennessee, five for 85. Uh, yeah, it really, it, it's been, it, it's been interesting to see three teams really just dominate early on just by sheer volume of moves, like with New England, Houston, Jacksonville. But you, you are right, by the way, on uh, Arizona. And they haven't yeah. done a whole lot as far as bringing in players from other teams. They made some, they made, they've done some good things re-signing guys. But you, uh, J.J. Watt and A.J. Green, and don't, don't forget, A.J. Green with DeAndre Hopkins. Um, I, th- I think you are right. Every, you know, big name veteran piece that they add, adds more pressure to uh, Cliff Kingsbury and Kyler Murray. So, I mean, you could very well be right. If Arizona doesn't take another step forward and make the playoffs, um, yeah, Cliff Cliff might be, Cliff might, he might be out of here. Uh, We'll keep, we'll keep more tabs on this as the situation progresses. All right, over to the NBA where we saw the Utah Jazz pick up an impressive road win over the Boston Celtics last night, 117-109. It was a balanced scoring effort for Utah with six players in double figures and efficient shooting from the three-point line and the foul line. Boston got 57 combined from its dynamic duo of Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, but it wasn't quite enough on this particular occasion. Drink, we've done quite a bit of work on the Jazz and Celtics this season. What stood out to you in this one? It's, it's starting to seem like the Jazz might be what they look like. You know, um, you look at the Jazz, right, and, and we want to know is they fool's goal. We want to know if the Jazz is that Atlanta Hawks team with four all-stars that ran up against LeBron and, and, and Kyrie and had to bite the dust. That's what we want to know. And it seems as if the Jazz seem to be legit. They played a legit Boston Celtic team. Boston had everything they needed. Mark, Marcus Smart was out there. You know what I'm saying? So it wasn't like Boston didn't play play up to standard. They actually played very well in this game. They just didn't close well, I thought. And mm. Utah closed the game. This is that's also the reason why I say maybe Utah has arrived because remember Utah was a team like that that couldn't close games or they couldn't be competitive in those last two minutes or whatever the case might be. They don't look like the same Utah. And we say this you know, I, I said, let me wait to the All-Star break. Let me see what they look like at the All-Star break. Let me see what they look like after the All-Star break. They did go into the All-Star break on a bit of a losing streak. And before this game, I think they had lost um, either four out of the last six, five out of the last six, one of the two. Um, so they came into this game kind of limping. But once we, they started playing, they looked like the Utah Jazz. Uh, okay, cool. I'm with it. What, what impressed me about Utah was... You, you know, before we do this show, we go, you, you drop in notes, you drop in gems and stuff. And I'm looking at it and I'm looking at the notes in the gems. And I'm like, well, God, dog, who wasn't 10 plus, uh, 10 points plus on the Utah Jazz team? It, it seemed like everybody came out there and got in double digits. I mean, you if you got in the game, you had to drop at least 10 or you ain't playing for the next three games. Um, That's what it looked like. It, it, it's very, very balanced as far as the scoring standpoint. But when I look at the Celtics, my, one of my big things with the Celtics is, I think the last time we covered this game, I talked about how Kimball Walker showed up, not so much Jason Tatum, not so much Jalen Brown. This, like, 
you got all three of them to really show up, to be honest, and you still lost. So it's like, if I'm Brad Stevens, what what really went wrong? Was it just Utah was so hot we couldn't stop them from the three-point line? Um, did they dominate the boy? Like, it, it sometimes you can lose and say, like, I, I thought we did what we were supposed to, and somehow we still lost. And you got to go back and find, you know, new ways to get things done. And I think that's where the Celtics at. Now, this is the Utah Jazz. So I would say Celtic fans, let's not panic. Let's not jump off the top of the roof. This is the Utah Jazz, and this is a regular season game on a whopping Tuesday night. You know what I mean? So we're not we're not losing no sleep over that. But, you know, if this continue, and I asked you this before we uh, started the show, I, I'm wondering if this continues and, and Boston slides down and, and, you know, C5, 6, 7, or 8, and they get bounced in the first round, I mean, it might be a cause to um, pull Brad Stevens to the side. And I'm going to tell you why. Don't get me wrong. Brad Stevens has done a lot of lot of good things with Boston. But doesn't it feel like he's regressing kind of a little bit? Like he was in the Eastern Conference Finals, and then he made it to the second round. And then, like, this year we don't know because the playoffs got to start. But I'm saying if he don't make it at least to back to the Eastern Conference Finals, to me, it seems like he's going backwards, not forwards. And I know what people are going to say. Well, when he made the Eastern Conference Finals, he had Kyrie. You knock it off. We know Kyrie wasn't nowhere to be found. He was on the back of a milk carton. Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, uh, Terry Rozier, like guys like that, Marcus Smart, that was the reason they took Cleveland to, you know, game seven. You know, and the rest was history. It didn't have nothing to do with Kyrie. So I don't want to hear no Kyrie. I don't want to hear no Gordon Hayward. I'm, I'm talking about the guys they got right now. That's who got them now. So with that said, Brad Stevens, man, is, you know, is looking a little iffy. And you know what? And the reason I started looking at coaching so much now is because, like, the conversation we had, the average coach lasts three years. So if you go over that three-year mark, you start getting more and more visibility because you didn't made it a lot farther than most coaches, right? And I'm looking at Brad Stevens. I'm like, yo, you're a good coach, Brad. I'm not knocking it. But at the end of the day, you are going backwards. You kind of, you're not, we need you to get back to the Eastern Conference Finals. We, this is supposed to be a team that we've foreseen in the finals by now. By now, we've seen them in the finals. I mean, you go, you roll back the footage. Me and you have been talking about hey, the Celtics, definitely an uh, NBA final team. They should, you know, Jason Tatum doing this, Jalen Brown doing this, you know, Kimball come to the table, so on and so forth. Sorry, but, I missed that. But, Could you say it again, please? But as of now, we don't we don't see that, yeah, you know, Siri out here doing whatever he want to do. Um, but <laughs> with, with that said, I don't know. They, they seem to be taking a step back. So I, what stood out to me last night for this game was the Jazz seemed to be taking a step forward. The Celtics seem to be taking a step backwards. Now, take that for what it's worth. We'll see as the season go on. But I do know this. If Brad don't get these boys playing a little better, it might be a cause to um be telling him to come see the, the owner. We need to talk. Yeah. Yeah, that's – it's so in terms of NBA standards for coaches that we've seen, because we talked about it, you know, whether it's Lloyd Pierce – whether it's Nate McMillan, Dwayne Casey, you know, uh, Billy Donovan, the list goes on and on. Uh, by those standards, yes. They're, they're, and I think, you know, based off this season and how they've underachieved so far, 
Um, it, it's I think it's absolutely fair to pose those questions, but at the same time, I'm I'm not a I'm not a believer that Lloyd Pierce should have got fired. I don't believe I I still think Nate McMillan should be coaching the Indiana Pacers. Uh, and I, I don't, I, I still think Billy Donovan, after what he did last year, which was his best coaching job, he should right. still be in OKC. So I'm definitely, not, although the, the the question is fair and it's fine for people to talk about, I, 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 I in no way, shape, or form would be considering getting rid of Brad Stevens if you want to talk to him and say, hey, man, we we need a little bit more because right now, yes, they should be better than what they are, but not only ownership. The Boston, because I, I could not even I couldn't tell you what that looks like. But don't forget about a guy like Danny Ainge, who is, you know, synonymous with the Boston Celtics. Um, and he's been there for, you know, a long time. And they've got there's a whole lot of trust that the Celtics, you know, ownership has in Danny Ainge. And I would that that would be kind of my first question. Like, what is is Danny Ainge have concerns about, about Brad Stevens? I'm going to say no, even though, you know, he's got to be a little frustrated about how things are playing out so far. But keep in mind, and they, they rolled this stat last night, Boston's had 17 different starting lineups this season. So that's, you know, almost, you know, one per every two games you're doing something different. So there's been a, a lot of inconsistency. We, we've chronicled how much Marcus Smart hasn't played. Kemba Walker's missed time. Uh, Tristan Thompson wasn't there last night. Been, been a lot of moving parts for this team. And that's not to excuse it, but th- these things happen from time to time. And I still and I still believe, and I think you do too, we, we have yet to see the best from Boston this year. At the end, right. when the season ends, I believe they'll be firmly in the fourth seed or fifth, depending on how Miami plays. But I think they'll be top five. They'll be safely in the playoffs. And we'll be looking at a very compelling first-round matchup. And it, it is, you know, based on what we've seen so far, they could lose in the first round. And that would be very, that would be pretty disappointing. But there's still a lot of games, there's still a, a lot of things, a lot of games to be played, and we'll just have to wait and see. But last night, I'll tell you, it, it was it was an odd game because I think Boston in the first half, they it, it didn't manifest on the scoreboard, but Boston looked like the better team for the first for the first half, definitely. They had a lead after three quarters, and in the fourth quarter it just went haywire. And they they showed some uh, pretty they showed some fourth quarter stats about how you know both teams perform in the fourth quarter, and that's what ended up happening. The Jazz, who are, are a pretty good fourth quarter team, and Boston just hasn't been very good in the fourth quarter, and that's what happened. Uh, Boston they they give up forty in the fourth quarter. You give up forty in in any quarter, it's going to be hard to overcome. They, you give up forty. And well, let me now. Now, with that said, I got a question for you. Who, when it comes to closing out games, who who do that fall on the most? You talking, talking about Boston out, or in general? Yeah, just in general for any team. If they have a problem closing out the game, who who do that fall on the most? It's got to, you know. It, it, I I'd hesitate to who that you know who you'd pinpoint because I think some of it may be like, do they have a clear? Are their roles like clearly defined? You know what I'm saying? Like, because I think Jason Tate, it's Jason Tatum who should be the guy that should close for you. But are the Celtics sure about that? I mean, do some people, I mean, it, should it be Jalen Brown? Should it be Kemba Walker? Like, do they have, you know, clearly defined roles there? That, that's what I, that's I mean, that's the question I would have. I think it should, if, if I was, if I was coaching Boston, I'd want Jason Tatum to take the last shot. But I mean, 
that that I think that is a big problem. They just aren't quite sure how to close with this group of guys. And some of it, maybe some of it is they need to just let, let, let's forget about closing and let's just play basketball. Let's just let's screen harder. Let's cut harder and let's just share the ball. I don't know, maybe like the go we saw the Golden State Warriors do for years and years. Um, because, I mean, it, it just it seemed like once that fourth quarter got around, things got a little bit more stagnant. It was just like, you know, give a guy the ball on the wing, see if he can, you know, beat his man off the dribble, create something for himself or create a wide open three. That seemed like much of the fourth quarter, what they were doing. And it really wasn't all that effective. Um, now, on the other side, Utah was pretty splendid last night, sharing the basketball, uh, finding finding open men behind the three point line. And, you know, it was really, I thought for Utah, they got outplayed most of this game, but they had, they had the advantage from the three point line. They made nine more threes than Boston did. And the free throw disparity was something else. They shot 20 more free throws than Boston did. And so, I mean, when you, you know, when, even when you win, when you have less turnovers as Boston did, even when you win the battle of the boards, which they did, even when you are a little bit more efficient overall from the field as they were, when you, when you go minus 27 from three and minus 19 from the foul line, I mean, that's just, that's just too big a disadvantage in too many areas as well as they played. And I really, I really think for Boston, their, their defense early on and for, for much of the first three quarters, and it's not so much that Utah didn't shoot the ball well, but I thought Boston's defensive intensity was pretty, was pretty, they were playing defense at a high level and they were forcing a lot of turnovers. And I think that's, and I think that might be the key for them. When they lock down defensively, and force turnovers and get you know get some easy baskets. I think that might be the formula for him, and that can alleviate some of those concerns about this half court offense, which in the fourth quarter seems like they just it, it needs a little bit more. They need to oil up a little bit more. It, it, it ain't as finely tuned a machine as it should be. And not only that, the last key point where um, you know Boston got you know it just wasn't good was individual, and that's Marcus Smart. Uh, Marcus Smart. Marcus Smart was terrible last night, especially uh, offensively. Uh, defensively, oh, we know. What, defensively, we know what he brings, but he couldn't hit the broad side of a barn last night. God bless him. I mean, the two for ten don't. The, the two for ten doesn't even begin to say like what he was doing. I mean, you heard Marv Albert, you know, and we know we don't know where Marv is half the time, but Mar, you know, Marv was out there. He was like Marcus Smart, way off. You know, he said that multiple times. And, you know, some of it, this is Marcus Smart's third game back. So I'm not going to read too much into it. But I would I would just, again, and I've been, you know, pretty forgiving of Boston most of the year. But I still think when it's all said and done, we're going to be talking about Boston in the weeks to come in a more positive light. And by the way, Utah, you mentioned, they were, you know, a little bit on a, on a little cold streak. They were coming back to earth as, you know, weeks ago I said, you know, are they this good? Are they 11 of 12 good or whatever the streak was? They, 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 even with this win, they've come, they've come back to the pack a little bit. And I'm, you know, as impressed as I am and as good as they are, and this is a much different team than what Quinn Snyder used to have. Remember, the Jazz used to, you know, the defense has always been there with Quinn Snyder. The difference this year is they can shoot it and they can shoot it from distance. And, a, you know, a lot of different guys can. We've got, you know, I mean, Clarkson comes off the bench and hits five threes. 
Ingles, who, by the way, did, who knew, he's a franchise leader up there in Utah for three-point basket. Mm-hmm. He made four last night. We know Conley can stroke it. Mitchell's a good three-point shooter. So, uh, but at the end of the day, the question I have is this. Do you, are, you, are you sure about Donovan Mitchell leading the team to the NBA Finals? Are you sure about Rudy Gobert being the second best player on the NBA Finals team? I, I'm looking at that and I'm saying, I don't know about that. I, I think, you know, it's a whole lot safer and I think a whole lot more reliable when you're rolling with LeBron and Anthony Davis, when you're rolling with Kawhi Leonard and, you know, Paul George, you know, I'm not too happy with him, but I'm, I just have way more confidence in those two duos leading you to the promised land as I do with Utah. And the same, no. by the way, the same thing I'll say about Phoenix too. Okay. No, we, we're going to take Phoenix on out of this equation. We're just going to keep it with the two L.A. teams in Utah. Phoenix got – I like Phoenix, but they got to show us more. Um, these three teams are somewhat of a proven commodity. Um, and my question is, so usually when we have a conversation like this, especially with the Lakers and Clippers compared to the, the West of the Red, the rest of the West, it's usually come down to – not necessarily the starting five, because usually the Lakers and the Clippers are going to have a better starting five than who they play. It usually comes to the bench. Your thing last year was, listen, the Clippers bench, you know, mm-hmm. those other guys, it's the truth. They got, you know, they can go two deep, three deep in any position, you know. Um, the Lakers didn't really have that last year. Mm-hmm. This year, however, they do. They, to, if, you want, if you ask me, I think the strength of the Lakers this year is the bench. When yes. you have Harold Kuzma, um, uh, Caruso, those guys coming off the bench, and they put up a lot of points, they really do. Whereas the Clippers, not so much this year. Yeah, Utah, one of their things I, I notice is their bench. You know, starting with Jordan Clarkson, starting with all those guys off the bench. So the re- the reason I'm I'm saying this is, do you think um, the the Jazz bench? could keep them competitive with, like, the Lakers and their bench, Clippers and their bench? Because I think that's what it's going to come down to. I, th- I think, you know, Joe Ingles and Jordan Clarkson, you know, in themselves, that's – I mean, they get 34 off the bench for you last night. And Clarkson's leading the league in bench scoring at 18 a game. So, I think, you know, overall, yes. But I think it's the same thing, like – and I-, I like Jordan Clarkson. and He seems to have really found a home in Utah. Um, but you know, that finals, uh, you know, a couple years ago when, you know, it was him and George Hill and uh, yep. Larry Nance and whatever, you know, whoever they acquired they at the trade deadline, yeah, whoever, whoever else it was, <laughs> you know, and then, oh my lord, Jordan Clarkson was so bad awful. in that NBA. All finals. those guys was awful, and all, all, all those and, guys was not good. And and just these are the things I'm I'm, I'm looking at, you know, in the playoff time, because you know what you're gonna get from LeBron. You know what you're getting from Anthony Davis. Right. We believe in Montrez Harrell. And we believe in Schroeder. Right. And and to that point about the Clippers bench, I had that belief all along that their depth would carry them, but it did not turn out that way because we know after the shutdown, Lou Williams was, you know, doing whatever he was doing with wings. And Montrez Harrell just I don't know, we don't know what happened to Montrez Harrell. He just but, didn't care to be there. But that, that that had a lot to do with why the Clippers underachieved in the bubble. Right. But I, but I but yes, I am with you about the Lakers' depth, and that is that is why 
I like the Lakers right now better than the Clippers. The Jazz do have, they do have the right depth. I just think overall, when you look at their best players, and it's going to be Donovan Mitchell, by the way, and maybe a little bit more about Mike Conley than Rudy Gobert, because Rudy Gobert, he's a defensive player, and he dunks the ball from time to time. That's what Rudy Gobert does. So that's my question. Donovan Mitchell and Mike Conley, and maybe Bogdanovich too, you know, whoever. Do you believe in those guys on the biggest stage? I think it's going to be, you know, their fate will be determined by how far Dama Mitchell can lead them. And it, you know, and it, it's not the best image when we looked last year at the last time we saw them in the playoffs and they was blowing a 3-1 lead. That's not the best look. All right, now we rewind to Monday night and a battle in New York between the Knicks and Nets. Brooklyn had a good handle on this one for most of the second half as Kyrie Irving could not be stopped to the tune of 34 points on 13 for 18 shooting, along with James Harden becoming the first net in franchise history to tally at least 15 points, 15 rebounds, and 15 assists in the game. The Knicks rallied late and had a chance on the final possession, but Julius Randle was called for a travel with three seconds left, with the Knicks down by just three points. It was the 13th win in 14 tries for Brooklyn, and they sit just one game back of the East-leading 76ers. The Knicks currently sit just a half game up for the eighth and final playoff spot. All right, Drink, I was I was surprised at how entertained I ended up being with this game. What'd you think of it? No, I'm with you. I'm with you. I Listen, so in true 100% transparency, right, you, we talked about this game, and we was like, hey, man, we want to talk about this game on the show. Let's watch the game. We said, like, didn't we say that there was four games Monday and Tuesday, and we saw that. We are like, oh, let, let's see how that one goes, and maybe we'll right. throw it in. And maybe, then, yeah, if it, if it don't turn out that well, we'll just replace it. We'll, we'll yeah. put the old NFL just, one. Hey, we're yeah. going to just flex it out, right? <laughs> um, and so, right, so that's what I'm thinking. So I'm watching this game, and I'm like, okay. The Knicks actually are making this a game against the Nets, right? Like, we're like, wait, James Harden playing, Kyrie playing. Uh, okay, all right, cool. And then let's just fast forward to that that, that fourth quarter because that's what got me. Listen, um, I, and I said this to you earlier. You know, Tom Thibodeau has this reputation about himself, um, being a defensive guy, uh, very strong on defense, very tough coach. And, I, you know, I – from what I understand, that's what that's that's his calling card is the defense, and we've seen that Derrick Rose led, you know, Derrick Rose, Joakim Noah, um, the Bulls team, Taj Gibson, all those guys, and and we've seen how good those teams. I, I think the team made it to the Eastern Conference Finals. Um, Derrick Rose won the MVP during that tenure, so that team was on the come up and was basically because of their defense, because Tom Thibodeau coached them very hard on defense, and that broke up. Tom Thibodeau went his way, Derrick Rose, Joe Kim Noah, and everybody just went everywhere, right? When Tom Thibodeau came back, I think his first job back was with the Minnesota Timberwolves. Mm-hmm. And he had the worst defensive team in the league, like his whole tenure there. So, like, a lot of people like myself was wondering, why do I have to hear all this hype about Tom Thibodeau and his team is not even that good on defense? They're better on offense than they are on defense. And, you know, so on and so forth. He got fired. He took some time off. And then he landed this New York Knicks job. And I'm like, listen, you, we know how New York media is. Tom Thibodeau about to get ripped apart because he's going to go there flopping around like he just did in Minnesota. 
and he gonna get the two piece and a biscuit, and I mean the biscuit. Make it, make sure it's got the honey on it from churches. So, I myself was very impressed with the Knicks' late game defense, and I know they was playing defense all, all throughout the game. You gotta understand, especially when Kevin Durant come back. The Nets is a very high-scoring team. I'm talking about all-star game points over here, folks. They could throw up a buck 60 on you and make you look crazy, right? And that's doing regulation. That ain't seven overtimes later. Like, that's doing regulation, right? So, when I, as I'm watching this game and I'm watching Kyrie, he doing his thing. He cooking. He being Kyrie. Harden being Harden. So, it wasn't like they wasn't that. They was doing their thing. But what I think surprised a lot of people was how good Julius Randle is. Like, we've been hearing the rumblings. We've been hearing, oh, this guy, he comes out of Duke. He, I meant Kentucky, my bad. He comes out of Kentucky, and he's one of the best one and done John Carapar ever had. And then he got drafted real high. And then, you know, it didn't really work out in his first stop. with. Uh, did he get drafted by the Lakers, right? Um, He got drafted real high by the Lakers, and he was just one of those Young Lakers guys that got lost in the shuffle, and you know Magic Johnson came in there. Get him out of here. Get him out of here too. I don't know you, but you out of here too. So they kind of you know got him out of here, and he got lost in the shuffle. Um, he was down in New Orleans, and but long story short, remember when the Knicks signed him in the offseason? Like what? Your big acquisition was Julius Randle. Man, please. You know, we had, I, I myself, I had a whole mouthful. Fast forward to now, the Knicks might got him something. You know what I'm saying? I'm going to put a little respect on that name. Just like you said, I was very entertained. The Knicks, they need a, I think they do need a star because this ain't the old four Pistons. But I do think if they get them like, they don't need like somebody crazy, but if they get a, a, a lead, a no crowd. If Julius Randle is your lead guy, and you get a clear cut number two guy with with a little resume behind him, you know, a leader or something. Listen, I don't know, but I enjoy watching the Knicks. I hope we get this version of the Knicks outside of the travel call. I hope we get this version of the Knicks for the rest of the year. I hope, and they look poised to make the playoffs. Let's talk about that play. I got to talk about that play because this play had. If you ever seen Friday. And you seen where Debo snatched the chain off Red and, and Smokey and Craig sitting on the front porch. They like, oh, he going to crawl on the way to the car. That's what I felt about Julius Randle. I was like, he, he going to crawl on the way to the crib. Because he, the way they got themselves in that position with those three tremendous defensive plays. I've never seen a team make the other team. Three times, well, it was like two times in the turnover or something like that. I, I was like, this is incredible. This is remarkable defense right here. And one of the, if you remember, one of the tops, they actually had the challenge for it. So I was like, they're yeah. not going to get this. Man, yeah. The referee's not going to agree to this on a challenge. Get out of here. That's going to be a foul because refs don't like, they don't like to be wrong. So I'm like, if this goes to re replay, they're going to say it's a foul somewhere in there. Sure enough, successful challenge. We're going to have a jump ball at the, I was like, yo. So, yes, my entertainment factor from that point was like, Lord, this game is crazy. And then they win the jump ball. They win the jump ball, go down. I think they scored in that position because I think what happened was the Nets scored again, and then they end up with the last possession. 
And um, poor Julius Randle. I don't, I don't know what Julius Randle was arguing, but you cannot go up and down with the ball. I don't know what, what the problem was, why he was so mad. I know because if, if I understand the game of basketball, the player can touch the ball. I thought the player had to dislodge the ball from your possession. That's when you can go up and down. That's what I thought. I'm not, but yeah, it's I'm, lo- not, I'm not sure. I'm not sure on this. I have to check. But I think – if a if a defensive player touches the ball, you mm-hmm. can come back down with it. That's what I think. I'm not sure. We'll have, we'll have to verify that. But that okay. I mean that had to have been why he was so upset because you could clearly see on the replay that there was a clear like touch of the ball, right. which you know because he was about to shoot the ball and try to tie the game, and right. you know whoever it was you know put his hands on the ball. So I, again, like you know we'd have to clarify our understanding, but that was definitely what the you know the. Um, the disagreement was, and he was, he was not pleased kicking chairs and everything. Right, he and he, I, he deserved to be mad. That was a game that could have took him to the next level. Like that was yeah. very televised, national televised game. He this played, he played great, that, by the way. He played great. You, he played great. Like I can understand his frustration, and you know if that's the rule. This, what I got out of that though was, this is why they need more than one challenge. That's why the one challenge thing is kind of crap. If you're gonna get them, at least get them like every other sport. Give them multiple challenges because you they they took the one challenge and they won, so that was a good challenge. And I guarantee you, if they would have had a second one, they would have used it right there and most likely got the ball back because we seen them touch the ball. The reason I didn't get you know outraged because I thought the the ball had to be dislodged. I didn't know if they just touch it, it's a live ball. You can pick the dribble back up again. So that confused me a little bit, but. I would have liked it to see that the player that the team would have got another challenge call, challenge that play. And if you say no, it would have been controversy the next day, but at least they would have had a chance to fix, you know, rectify the problem. Um, but with that said, man, I was just heartbroken for Julius Randle. It, you know, like for a guy to play for the Knicks in general, to play as hard as they played, they had a chance to beat what I think is the best team in the East, the uh Brooklyn Nets. They had a chance to beat them. And they had a chance to beat them at home, by the way. I know the fans thing ain't, you know, that big of a uh, – but you got to understand, both of these teams in New York, they burrows away from each other. So this trash talk going to go a long way. So the Knicks was trying to, you know, get some juice going in there. And, listen, shout, shout out to the Knicks. I ain't even going to say nothing bad about the Knicks. I still don't like James Dolan. He still need to give up the team. But the team that was on the court, that – hey, tell, tell, uh, Thibodeau, Whoever the GM is, because I don't pay the Knicks that much attention. Listen, that I, I like that product that was out there. I really did. I enjoyed that product. I thought it was fun. Um, Julius Randle, first year being an all-star, I see why. He definitely deserved a nod. I see what he got going on. And, and shout out to the Knicks. Now, I guess I got to say something about the Knicks, because they was playing the game. Um, you, But I think the most important thing I can say about them is what you said in the lead-in. Um, 13 wins out of 14. So... We do know Kevin Durant stopped playing a long time ago. Like, EA played it, I don't know how long. And they just roll it. Like, they roll it. Like, that. it's not as you can say. They didn't beat every good team. Any team you consider good, the next to beat them. Lakers, Clippers, Bucks. Like, you name them, they didn't knock them down. So, you know, do I think this lineup will have some problems? Once the playoffs start, yes, because then you can strategize against them. You get seven games to build a game plan against them. But as far as regular season, night in and night out, 
I'm telling you, this team, if Kevin Durant was playing, this is a 160-point team here, like just throwing up points. So I thought this would have been a big luncheon pad for the Knicks, but we'll see, man. But I'm definitely excited to see no more. Yeah, I think the yeah the best the best thing I can say about the Knicks and they're they're a serious NBA team. You know, this is by, by the way, congratulations to the New York Knicks not only for you know being relevant, somewhat relevant in the East and all that, uh, but this is the first time the Knicks have had a segment about an actual game they played in. You know what I'm saying? Like, remember, I think the la the last Nick the last Knicks segment we may have done was. Um, you remember uh, who was it? Uh, Frickin' Frack or whoever it was. Uh, Scott Perry and oh, the uh, yeah, what's his name? Uh, out the team. Yeah, the uh, I can't remember who. It was. Sam Mills? No, was it Sam Mills? I can't remember. Maybe, but, but I remember. Was, you know, what you're but about. you know, it was uh, them two fellas. Uh, you know, them two clowns who were up there doing a press conference and talking about right. Oh, we expected to be better than this, and we were like, right. "What are you talking about?" And then, they, uh, and then who? What was it? Hornacek or whoever it was? He was fired like in the next couple weeks or something. That was the last time. They, and by the way, Scott Perry is still the GM. Scott Perry's there, so Frick or Frack or what, whichever one you want to call him, he's still there. They uh, they brought in that fellow Leon Rose as the basketball okay. president of basketball operations. Wasn't that Fisdale? Oh, Steve Fisdale. Fisdale. Yeah, it was David Fisdale. You're right. Uh, oh, and it was Steve Mills, by the way. Steve yeah. Mills and Scott Perry. I called him okay. Frick and Frack. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> but uh, you know what they've done and. Bringing in Tom Thibodeau, and I'm I'm happy for Thibodeau. I'm happy for the Knicks. Julius Randle is something else. You know, he this now I I can see why he made the All Star team. Because remember we was talking about the All Star lineups, and you know, oh Julius Randle and Zach Levine and Vucevic and some of these guys and Conley. I I don't know about some of these guys. I I, I stand corrected. I, mm -hmm. I owe you an apology, Julius Randle, because uh, right. 33. Uh, in 41 minutes, 12 rebounds, six assists, and he's averaging like 23, 11, and six on the year, and he can shoot it. He, had, this guy, couldn't shoot worth anything for his whole career, and from <laughs> last year to this year, he's improved from 28 percent to 41, 42 percent. So he's not only is he shooting it better, he's dramatically improved, and he showed it uh, on Monday night, and. You know, that's a for Julius Randle to lead this team, basically, when it was all said and done, toe to toe with the likes of Kyrie Irving and James Harden. And I know they didn't have KD, and, you know, so, you know, KD plays, and maybe we could talk about a, just a, a whitewashing and we wouldn't even bother discussing it because we flex right. it. Uh, but I mean, that's <laughs> that's an accomplishment nonetheless because not only, not only was you playing against Kyrie and James Harden, but Kyrie was just in a zone of himself last night. It didn't matter. You know, it's just one of those nights where he's just hitting from everywhere. I mean, 13 of 18 for a perimeter guy who takes a lot of perimeter shots is uh, that, that's something special. And James Harden, he just had control of the game, you know, for, for most of the night. And I, I like, I think it's smart how Brooklyn has, has done this. And they have, at least for James Harden and Kyrie Irving, they have clearly defined Who's going to do what? Right. James Harden, who we think of as, as a traditional shooting guard, is running the point. And Kyrie Irving, who has the stature of a point guard, is playing off the ball. And I think that that's probably the right way to play it. Because James Harden, he can do more than Kyrie Irving. Kyrie Irving is going to score the ball. James Harden can run the point. He can score. He can rebound. He can do a little bit more. I think they're playing it as they should. So credit for Steve Nash. 
Um, but, you know, it, it is going to come down in the playoffs to, you know, will they will they get I don't know. I don't know if you can figure them out, you know, but teams are going to have a chance to implement a strategy over a series. But it's right. going to be it's going to be tough because, you know, assuming everyone's healthy, who are, who are you going to try to stop? Because you can't focus in on all three of them. You can't See, focus in on KD, Kyrie, and Harden. You're going to have to try to take one or two of them away. And, you know, whoever the guy that you pay less attention to, he's subject to beat you. See, I feel like the way – so you can't stop them. So what you got to do is you're going to have to make them play defense. And yeah. I feel like this is why the Lakers, the Clippers, like bigger teams can do this because – what you got to do is get them in foul trouble. Get them to exert more energy on the defensive side. You ain't going to stop them, but right. you can make it more harder on them. And then that's why I think, because if you go in there talking about, let me try to stop Kyrie, KD, hard, good luck. Right. But, and, I, and, you know, yeah, and, I, and you're right. I don't, th I don't think you can stop them, but I think you're going to have to, you know, have, formulate an approach to where you focus in on, maybe Kyrie or Harden, you're going to have to focus on someone or maybe two of them. And, you know, maybe, maybe we let, uh, you know, maybe we let KD go off and we say, we can't do nothing with KD. Let KD do what he do. We'll focus more on Harden or Kyrie. Some type of strategy like that, but you, you that, that is absolutely right. You're going to have to be efficient when you have the ball. Best offense is a good defense and you're going to have to take care of the ball. You can't give up easy baskets. You can't give away possessions because that's going to hurt you. And that was something the Knicks actually did pretty well last night. They only turned the ball over eight times. The problem was, and they, you know, uh, I think Doris Burke did a good job of breaking it down. The, the Knicks overall as a team, they, they're not all that explosive offensively. They got a big lift in this game from Reggie Bullock, who made a bunch of threes for them and, you know, help, helped them out from the perimeter along with Julius Randle. But, um, but overall, you know, they're just they're not explosive on a perimeter. I mean, you think about guys like uh, R.J. Barrett, for example. You don't think of him as a three-point shooter. Well, I thought he played pretty well in this game, made 10 free throws. Um, and, but <laughs> they, 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 they struggle the Knicks on the season. Wait, wait. Did you think he was good because he made 10 free throws or he did something else? No, he, I, I thought oh, – <laughs> I didn't mean that as a joke. I was just, that's just one thing I remember about the game. He made a bunch of free throws. He got to the line. He drew fouls, <laughs> but I, overall, I think on the season they just struggle to shoot the ball from the perimeter. And in this game, the shooting disparity was is crazy. Brooklyn shot at fifty eight percent. The Knicks shot forty percent in this game. Um, they did take a bunch of threes and they they made fifteen of forty two. Um, but just overall, th this is th this is a team. This is th the Knicks are an example of a team who Brooklyn their defensive intensity it kind of came and went and it for the most part i didn't think it was really there i thought the knicks you know a lot they had a lot of open shots they just couldn't cash in when it counted and I, if if brooklyn brooklyn's gonna have to continue to work on that because the the trap they can fall into is they could they can and i think it's real easy for them they can get into the mindset of like we are so talented offensively that we can you know we don't have to play defense on this possession or this possession, or we can take, you know, we can take a few minutes off against against good team against really good teams that they're going to meet in the playoffs. That's going to be dangerous. So Steve Nash got to do the best he can to keep him engaged and keep him focused. Um, but I, I do want to say one more thing. I think that was Emmanuel Quickly's first start 
And I was yeah, I was yeah. impressed. I was impressed with him. The, the end numbers at the end don't blow you away, but that, that's a guy who's he's talented, and he, he he's not shot from the moment. He was launching from everywhere. No fear, no fear in that young man. Kentucky could use a few more like that this year. Right. <laughs> right. Last but not least, a whole lot of topics. A little bit of time. Jay, the floor is yours. All right, LeBron James is joining Fenway Sports Group as a partner and now has an ownership stake in the Boston Red Sox. A rare basketball, baseball cross-rapid drink. What would you make of this news? LeBron doing what LeBron do. Um, now he got a soccer team and he got a baseball team. And I heard he, he got a, a part on in a uh, football team. Hey, man, listen, more power to him. You know, he's showing that um, you can be more than just a player. You can go out here and you can actually – Instead of complaining about ownership, you can become part of ownership. Now, I'm not saying that's readily available to everybody, but, you know, he's saying be part of the solution instead of the problem. I like it. I, you know, I'm, not, I'm never mad that, you know, the guys out here putting his mark everywhere. And um, it's I, – I, I guess the better question is how do Boston feel about this? But, you know, neither here nor there. Um, you know, it is what it is. But I, I like the move. I like what LeBron been doing, him and um, – Maverick Carter, they've been spreading out everywhere. It's good stuff as far as I'm concerned. Just one day after being fired from Minnesota, Rick Pitino was hired as the next coach for New Mexico. Your thoughts? Hey, you know, you got the right pedigree. Anytime you're a Pitino, uh, those opportunities may tend to come, even if, you know, Rick's down there in Iona. They made the tournament, by the way. But, you know, the son, Richard Pitino, uh, Minnesota, they made a couple NCAA tournaments. Um, haven't been all that successful lately. Uh, but, I mean, a program like New Mexico, that's a little bit of a step down. So, you know, maybe he can do something down there and uh, eventually get himself back in the, in the Power 5 action. A Houston area massage therapist filed a civil suit against Texans quarterback Deshaun Watson, alleging inappropriate conduct in her home in March of last year. Last night, Watson called the lawsuit a baseless six-figure settlement demand via Twitter. Care to comment on this one? Yeah, I'm, I'm with Deshaun Watson. This is bull. Okay, so I don't know. I'm not going to, like, speculate what happened. But if he was doing something so bad, it took you a year to say something? Really? So he was in your house acting a plum fool, and it took you a strong year to say something about it. And I'm with, I'm with Deshaun. I, not necessarily the baseless part, but it does sound like a six-figure money grab, you know. So um, I'm with Deshaun Watson on that. And, you know, I kind of feel a little upset, you know, bad for these guys because, like, when they do something, and then if a person feels like, oh, I can make some money off this, let me start up a claim, because they know they're famous and they don't want to. Not to say these guys don't do wrong stuff, they do, but it's like every time, like, come on, man, what you waited a year? Come on, man. It was just, I'll tell you right now, if Deshaun Watson did something to me, sit, well, a year, it ain't going to take me 12 minutes, let's know 12 months to say something about it. I'm like, oh, man, man, I can't believe Deshaun Watson just did that to me. Like, what are we talking about, man? Anyway, that's crazy. The Miami Heat has traded, have a trade in the works that was send center Miles Leonard and a future second-round pick to Oklahoma City Thunder in exchange for Trevor Ariza. Did this catch you by surprise? You know, at first it did, but, it, you know, it, that was, like, for, like, two seconds. And I was like, oh, this makes all the sense in the world. You think, think about this. The <laughs> Miami traded him and a pick for a guy who ain't played since the pandemic started. So 
I, I'm, I, you know, it, it, we, we know how the culture is today. You, you say one wrong thing, you could be out of here. And Myers Leonard, he just, you know, God bless him, but he ain't got the talent of an Antonio Brown to where he can just come back from nonsense, <laughs> nonsense after nonsense. I don't, I, I'll be honest with you. I don't think Myers Leonard will play another minute in the NBA. That's where I'm at. 49ers and left tackle Trent Williams have broke the bank with a six-year, $138 million deal, the biggest contract ever for an offensive lineman. Williams turns 33 in July, Drink. Do you think he'll be in the Bay Area for all six years? Uh, it's not that I think. I know he won't be in the Bay Area for all six years. And if he is there for all six years, he's not going to be a starting left tackle for all six years. He might be on the bench soaking up the cash or something, but I just don't think so. Because you got to remember, this is a guy that he, you know, a couple of years went down the drain when he was with Washington, sitting out fighting with them. So, I mean, the fact that he got this contract is impressive, first and foremost, with all that that didn't happen already. So I thought that was impressive. He is a good left tackle. I'm not denying that. But at 33, it's hard to see that in today's NFL that he would be able to last out that contract. So I'm pretty sure year five and six are very, very heavy compared to, you know, years one, two, three, four, you know. So with that said, I do not see that. New Detroit Tigers manager A.J. Hinch is getting getting rave reviews from future Hall of Famer Miguel Cabrera, who isn't concerned about Hinch's involvement in the 2017 Houston Astros sign-stealing scandal. Do you like Cabrera's approach? Yeah, I think I think it's the right approach, and uh, I think Cabrera's right. And then again, what what is he going to say? Oh yeah, you know what? Actually, I am concerned about having a cheating manager on the team. No, he's not going to say that. There's plenty of other people on other teams who will likely say that. But I mean, I think he is right. I mean, AJ Hinch, despite what you may think about him, despite what you may think about the Astros, uh, he he he's a he's a proven manager, and uh, he's going to have a lot of work to do in Detroit because they you know they've been kind of bad for quite a while now. Um, but he's a modern day manager combines, you know, a little bit of analytics uh, with just, you know, knowing having a good feel for the game, knowing when to make certain moves. So uh, I, I think Cabrera's right. And he's got got a lot of reason to be confident in him. No surprise here, but Saints quarterback Drew Brees officially announced his retirement on Sunday. Final thoughts on his career. Listen, um, I was watching the herd, Colin Cowherd show, and he made this this he made like a. Um, he had like a countdown of the biggest free agent acquisitions in NFL history. And I want to say Drew Brees was number one or two, possible one. And um, it's a reason, and I agree with him. You, if you think about what he did once he became, just think about the route it, he had to take to get to New Orleans. And then once he got to New Orleans, Hurricane Katrina, um, all that, you're not even, they couldn't even play in New Orleans. They had to play in Houston. Then, you know, everything he did for the community, et cetera, et cetera. Then on top of that, he was a Hall of Fame quarterback. You know, it's just a lot. And, you know, he is one of the – we think about three guys in that era, and it was like him, Peyton Manning, and, and Tom Brady. And Tom Brady's still playing, but he's he's probably going to be the last leg of that, that tripod to, you know, step on out. So um, definitely legendary, definitely a guy that, that made his mark in the NFL, but not not just on the field, he did it off the field as well. So definitely, you know, one of the top-notch guys in, in, in the NFL, in the league. The AP Men's All-American team was released yesterday. Anything stand out to you? 
Gonzaga had three of the 15 in the first, second, and third teams. I believe Baylor had uh, two guys, so five of the 15 from two teams. And another, maybe surprising, but maybe not, considering the uh, NCAA tournament seedings, the ACC gets zero, zero first, second, or third teamers. That, uh, that stood oh, wow. out to me. Mm-hmm. More injury issues for Sacramento Kings forward Marvin Bagley as he broke a bone in his left hand on a loss to the Charlotte Hornets on Monday night. What's more disappointing to you this year, the Kings overall or Bagley's health? Bagley health. This is easy. Bagley health. I did, when he was at Duke, oh, man, look how fast this guy could jump back up and give him a second opportunity, blah, 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 blah. Oh, he should have been the first pick. He got snubbed, blah, 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 blah. And all I've heard is, medic, Matt Marvin Bagley, <laughs> medic. Yeah, that's all I've heard. Um, the Kings overall, listen, we don't – our expectation for the Kings wasn't that high. Let's, let's go ahead and – it wasn't like we was like, hey, this team, this is a top four seed in the West. Um, we did think they were going to be better, right? Um, we were looking at De'Aaron Fox. Um, then they got uh, – what's the name of the coach? They brought him in a few years from the Lakers. So I'm, I'm thinking, yeah, they're going to be better. But if I had to pick, yeah, it's definitely Bagley's help. He's been hurt. Damn near since they drafted him. Like, I don't know. He's supposed to have been this be- the next best thing since sliced bread. And yet, all I've seen is a-, a medical chart. Last one, Pelicans, Blazers from Portland. Tomorrow night, who you got and who you got? Oh, I got Portland. You know, I'm not. Uh, Pelicans just don't do it for me. They're too inconsistent. Stan Van Gundy, just a little bit overrated for me. I'd rather have Jeff, but Jeff stays in the booth where he just does fantastic work. Give me Damian Lillard, give me McCullum, and give me the Blazers. And that concludes today's Drink of Wisdom. As always, like, listen, share, and subscribe. I'm Jay Watts. And I'm Nathan Drinker. And remember, make tomorrow better than today, and make today better than yesterday. And you know what we're going to do. We're going to holler at you until next time, baby.